Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Slowly, the young man makes his way back up the familiar path to the home that he left in such a hurry. He left with a pocket full of money and energy to burn. But now, his shoulders are hunched, he's tired, he's filthy, and he has blown through all of the money that he demanded. Wild living is caught up with this young man, and he's seen more than he ever thought that he would see or ever wants to see again in his life. And as he travels this path, his mind goes back to his father, He remembers the night of the argument, and he has not called, he has not written, he has not seen his father since that night. As best as he knows, his father may think that he's dead, and maybe the young man thinks his dad wants him dead. He saw the pain in his father's eyes. He knew that he had ripped his heart out. What is his father going to say after all this time? And so the young man hangs his head in shame as he travels the path. As he begins to move in that direction, his heart is heavy. He feels as though he is a million miles away from where he originally intended and needed to be. He fears this moment that he's going to stand in front of his dad. And he's thinking to himself, I've prepared a speech. I know what I'm going to say. It will be fine. He's dreaded this moment, but here's what he's going to say. Dad, I'm not even worthy to be your son. Why don't you just go ahead and make me like any of your other employees? As the man begins to climb the crest of the hill, he sees his home in the distance and the setting sun behind. And now coming down the hill is a man, but he's not really sure who it is because of the setting sun. There's a glare. The outline looks like his father. This man is running. Is he angry? And as the man gets closer and closer, the boy sees that, yes, it's his father. And the expression on his face, it's not anger. It's joy. It's relief. And as, as the guy gets near, before the son can say a word, the dad has wrapped his arms around his son. He has lifted him up in the air in a firm embrace. He's squeezing all of the air out of his lungs. And the young man takes a deep breath and he says, Father, I've sinned against God and you. And before he can say another word, The boy hears something he never thought he would ever hear again. With a crack in his voice, he hears the words, son, my son. And then the dad says, quick, employees, go get a party prepared. My son, my son was dead, but now he's alive. Can you imagine, can you just imagine the relief in the young man when he realizes like all the guilt is gone. His dad never wanted to disown him. He never wanted him dead. He just wanted his son home. And if you have never ever received Jesus Christ and made him your savior, this is how your father in heaven wants to receive you. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have repented of your sin, this is how the father received you. The Father. That's a term that the Bible uses over and over to describe who God is. It's the most common used 
term, in fact, by Jesus. The, the concept, though, of calling God Father to those who are in Judaism, man, that, that's unthinkable. How are you going to call the maker, the creator of the universe, Daddy? How does that happen? No Jewish person would do that. And yet, this is one of the most often used terms by Jesus. In fact, Jesus instructs us to pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven. When, when you became a Christian, when we become a Christian, we are said to be born again. And we are born into a spiritual family and we are children of God. When you're born into a physical family, you are given a family. When you are born again, you are born as a child of God. This is your identity. You are a child of God. First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. As we go through this, I'm, I'm going to exegete a little bit here. I'm going to explain some things as we go through this, these verses, and then we're going to apply what we learn. So as you're opening up to First John chapter 3, let's pray once again. Father, Father, please reveal your love to your children. I pray for those that may be far off, far off in their lives and their hearts, and they feel distant from you. Bring them home call out to them. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would be life-giving to us once again today. Thank you for giving us these words so that we can know your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. He's talking about future glorification for us. The moment that we get to go to heaven and we're fully glorified as he intends us. So it says here, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We are going to see Jesus in fullness in a way that we have never been able to see him before. And we are to be like him, glorified as he is. We're going to get to heaven and there's not going to be any more temptation. Thank you, God. No more pain no more death, no more tears, no more struggle, all of that gone. Bliss, joy, glorification, understanding fully who Jesus is. Verse three, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Purifies himself. He hopes in this, this purity now, now, when it talks about purification, it's talking about sanctification. John has been moving in this direction, reminding us that our, our relationship to God, it's not just about being saved. It's not just about salvation. It's about sanctification. It's moving on. It's being set apart. That's what sanctification is, to be set apart for God, where we have less of sin, less of the world in our life, and more of the holiness of God. And here it tells us that we are to purify ourselves. Now, that may sound a little bit weird if, if you've been just kind of tracking along with what God has done. Everything has been based on his love, his grace, his mercy, his work on the inside of you. And so if you hear you need to purify yourself, you might say, well, wait, I, I didn't think I had to really do anything. This is all the work of God. God says, be holy as I am holy. And now he says, purify yourselves. What, what does this mean? What is this like? Well, just picture it this way. Let's say you've, you have dirty hands and your hands need to be washed. 
You need to clean your hands. You're going to get some soap. You're going to get some water. Uh, and you're going to rub your hands together. You're going to create friction. And you're going to wash your hands uh, underneath that water for how long have they been telling us now, right? Like 20 seconds. You know, 20 seconds. Get your hands clean. Now, what is it that cleansed your hands? Was it the soap and water or the friction? It was both. In order to be cleansed, for you and I, we need the washing of the word. We need the sanctifying, clearing, cleaning work of Jesus Christ. And we need to remain close to him. We need to have this fellowship where we are with him and we are being cleansed by him. We can't do this on our own. You can't clean yourself up. So you need the cleansing power of Jesus Christ, his spirit in you, the cleansing of his word. And we begin to walk with him, to work alongside him as he begins to purify us. Because why? We want to be as Jesus is. We will be fully glorified in heaven until we get to heaven. We need to continue to work towards that purity of allowing Jesus Christ to transform us from the inside out. Then it says, verse 4, everyone, anybody who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And so this word practices, it just simply means to do, right? This is, this is what you do. Uh, if you're a lawyer, I'm practicing law. If I'm a doctor, I'm practicing medicine. Before you came to Jesus Christ, you were practicing sin, and you were really good at it. Like, what's your job? I'm a sinner. It's what I do. I have no other options. I sin. And I'm really, really good at it. it is what we practiced. You practice sin. And it says that sin is lawlessness. That This is revealing which kingdom we're a part of. Whether or not we're a part of God's kingdom or our own kingdom. There is this lawlessness. It's an act of rebellion. We don't like the lawgiver, And we don't like his laws. We're not interested in his precepts. We're not interested in his commands. And every time we sin, we are lawless. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Now, he's come to take away sins. Yes, he's come to take away our original sin, that thing that separated us from God, which broke our relationship with him. But he came, it says, plural, for sins. Not just that one sin so that we would pray a prayer that we'd kind of squeak our way into heaven. But Jesus Christ has come so that all of our sins might be washed away. So that we can get past all of those sins, no longer living in sin, when we were lawless and we had no opportunity not to sin. Now we have power to be pure. Little children. All right, let's go verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or even known him. Now verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So we used to hate God. We used to hate the lawgiver and hate the laws. We used to be lawless, but no more. We love his law. We love his precepts. We love his commands. And we want more and more of his righteousness in our lives. Verse eight, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse nine, no one, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. 
So a Christian no longer has this attitude of, I think I'm just going to go ahead and lean into lawlessness in my life. I think I'm just going to go ahead and keep on sinning and doing my own deal. We can't do that anymore. Not when we belong to God. When we have Christ, his seed in us, we have a new identity. We have a new nature, and we don't want to move that way. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. No longer just simply going in the direction of our flesh and our lust and whatever we want to do in regards to Sin, what we're doing is we're trading a life of slavery to sin in which we were in bondage and we could not find the key or break out on our own. And we're trading that in for a slavery to righteousness. We are slaves of righteousness, Romans 6, verse 18, verse 10. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. It's really, really clear to know who Christians are and to know those who are not. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So let's take a look at a few things. The first thing that I want to look at is this idea of family love. We've, we've set this up as we've been talking about the prodigal son and the father in heaven. And there's nothing really like family love, to be a child of God. And this is how he began in verse 1. Uh, it said there in verse 1, see what kind of love the father. And I learned this in, in the NIV. That's where I memorized it, 1984. Thank you. Uh, th- this, is, this is what I learned. See what kind of love the father has lavished lavished on us that we should be called children of God. It is a lavishing kind of love. And what's interesting is, depending on your own relationship with your earthly father, that's how you tend to view your father in heaven. And that can be good or bad, uh, depending on your father and how you were raised. Fortunately, I, I have a blessing where I had a dad who, who loves the Lord. Some of you may not have had that. And you begin to look at God through a different set of lens. But no matter how you view, view God or what you think that his character may be, it doesn't change his true character. Your opinion of him does not change him. He is who he is and who he has revealed himself to be is a God who loves. He loves his children. If you are his child, he loves you. He loves you with this extravagant, profuse, generous kind of love. And in order to see that, all we've really got to do is look at Jesus Christ on the cross and go like, are you kidding me? God loved me that much that he would die in my place. That's a lot of love. The father loves us. We are the son who's running down or coming down that path. And we're finding at the end of that path, a father, God, whose arms are open wide and ready to love us and to embrace us. And he began to love us and embrace us before we ever did anything. The only thing we did was just kind of turn around and and repent. And when we just turn, he's there with open arms, extending his love before we even have a fully developed love and understanding of who he is. He has moved in the direction of people who are opposed to him, who are sinners, who, who want nothing to do with him. And yet he moved in their direction and gave them love before they deserved it. I picture the way that I picture my own relationship with my daughter my daughter, Shelby, was just, you know, a few months old, four or five months old. If I were at work and I'd had a tough time and I was stressed out, I would go home and I'd pick Shelby up and I'd look in her sweet eyes and listen to her cooing and give her kisses on her chubby little cheek. No matter how stressful the day had been, her, her presence was just, wow, 
relieve that stress. I just felt such joy because I love my daughter with all my heart. But the truth was, Shelby at four or five months old didn't love me in the same way. I mean, if I were having a heart that was just kind of breaking and down, she wouldn't lose any sleep. If my body were racked in pain, she'd keep playing with her toys. And quite honestly, if I died, she would have forgot me in a day or two. She didn't contribute a dime to the household. She didn't have a job. She wasn't contributing. She cost me a lot of money. (laughs) But there's not enough money in the world to take my daughter away from me. So how is it? Does she love me or do, do I love her? Am I waiting for her to do something in order to be worthy of my love? Am I just gonna kind of withhold my love, wait till she's a little bit older and then say, okay, you love me. So I'll just go ahead and love you back. This is the love of the father. While we were rebellious sinners running from him, he extended his grace and love to us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to take on all the wrongdoing that we had ever done. We keep spitting in his face. We keep telling him, I'm going to do it my own way. And yet in the father's love, he sends his son, sends Jesus Christ to the cross to die on the cross for all of the sin that I had ever done. All of God's wrath placed on him so that I might receive Jesus Christ's righteousness. This is the love of the Father, not the love of Chris or anybody else. This is what we're going to find in 1 John 4 when we get there. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins, to be the appeasement of our sins. We had this wrath hanging over our head and a loving, holy, just God must punish sin. We don't have a God in heaven that's all cuddling up with sin and evil. No, he's opposed to those things. It must be judged because he is a just, loving God. He will pour out his wrath on sin. And we come into this world, we have this death sentence hanging over our head. And yet this just, holy God has love, mercy, and grace, and he extends it to us through the person of Jesus Christ, that he would move in our direction and take all of my sin upon himself on that cross, not stay dead, come back to life, and offer me salvation, and offer you salvation. And you refuse that love to your own detriment, because sin must be paid for. And a loving God paid for it. And to continue to turn your back on that God and not move the direction of the path and into his open arms, friend, you are doing so to your own detriment. And when, when we're born in the physical world, we, we have some pretty unique genes. Those of you that have studied biology, you know we have tens of trillions of cells and Every one of those cells has genetic code making up a very unique you. When we're born into the family of God, we're given some pretty unique genes as well. Verse 9 said that we have the seed of God abiding in us. And that makes us unique. So what I want to do here, I want to talk about some of the family uniqueness that I find. Because if you are a child of God, you are going to live a very unique life. And so the first thing that I want to make mention is this, and this won't be on the screen if you're taking notes and writing things down in your phone or on a piece of paper. This is the first thing. It's unique, first of all, to be known as God's children. 
that's unique. Just, just like, like if you were to belong to a particular family, like the royal family, right? If, if, if you were like Prince Harry and Prince William, I think that's their names, like there's only two of them, right? So that's, that's kind of a big deal if you're part of the royal family. But I'm telling you, to be part of God's family is greater. To be a child of God and an heir of him is way better than any kind of family relationship here. We are God's children this is, this is what he said in verse 2. We're not just merely called God's children. We are God's children, beloved. We are God's children now. This is how Romans chapter 8, verse 14, it makes the same distinction. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children, children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You you can find the same kind of line of thought in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4 verses 1 through 7 if you'd like to look at that at some point. It is unique not to just be called children of God, but to be children of God. And that is our identity. And I realize, I realize that, you know, we have an enemy of our faith. We have a deceiver who wants to keep coming along and tell you that's not really your identity. You're really just messed up. You're screwed up. You got all these issues and you take on other labels. You are, when you belong to Christ, a child of God. And that's unique. Now, here's the second thing. Uh, being a child of God is unique because we're not known by the world. We're not known by the world. It said this in verse one, uh, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So sometimes it's, it's hard for us to really embrace the fact that we are children of God because it never really gets reinforced by the world. We, we don't walk out of this room and go into the world and the world is like, here's some extra credit. You're a Christian. We don't hear that. Hey, hey way to go. Oh, you're a Christian? We love Christians out here in the world. No, right? Ridiculed, mocked. You go to some countries right now, murdered. They didn't recognize Jesus when he came. They didn't recognize him. They mocked him. They despised him. They ridiculed him. They murdered him. And Jesus said, no, no students above the teacher. And if he's our teacher, why would we say, well, I'm just going to become a Christian, get a whole bunch of health, wealth, and prosperity? It's not what Jesus got. You will suffer. We shouldn't be surprised when that kind of thing happens. And in fact, we don't want to be tied in with this world. We're in the world, but we don't want to be of the world. I think it's a real problem if we have people in the world coming up along us and say, yeah, we really get what you're talking about. You sound like one of us. No, I want to run the other way from that. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I don't need the world. I need more of God. I need more of his holiness. So if the world doesn't know you and you feel like, oh, they're making fun of me. Yeah, good. That's a good sign. So it's unique because, well, we're children of God and the world doesn't know us. And then finally, we're, we're unique because... Well, we don't keep on sinning. We don't keep on sinning. Maybe you thought, well, maybe Chris will pass those verses and we won't talk about that where I just kind of heard that if I sin, well, I don't really know God. No, let's look at that. Verse six. 
no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Drop down to verse 9. No one born of God, no child of God, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, now you read this a certain way. It sounds like, well, John's saying, well, you, you can't really be a Christian if you sin. Like one sin, you're, you're not saved. You need to get resaved. Or maybe he's talking about perfectionism. Like we just need to be absolutely perfect. And unless I'm absolutely perfect, I'm not going to be going to heaven. What is it that he's saying here? Now, the interesting thing is I'm, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If anybody in here has the King James Version, it's even more challenging. Because with the different translations, they, they have just one word to try to explain what's happening here. And so if you just translate it literally, you don't get the full thing. But in the ESV, it helps us out a little bit. NIV, some of the others. And this, this is the words that I think helps us. Uh, the phrase keeps on sinning and makes a practice of sinning. So in the Greek, the, this one word, they have to decide, is, is this going to be a, a simple kind of uh, tense or is this going to be something different? And it is. They, they make this tense the present progressive tense. That this is something that is ongoing. You cannot have an ongoing relationship with sin. You can't keep practicing sin and say, oh, I'm a Christian. That's not possible. We've got to be honest, though. We, we realize that even the most faithful followers of Jesus sin, right? I, I have not yet met a perfect person. Anybody here perfect, never... Okay, that's what I thought, right? I still haven't met anybody. We have to admit, we all sin. Even John said in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we're just deceiving ourselves. Paul would say the same thing. We have sin in our lives, but it's being told here. You're not going to keep practicing sin. You're not going to make this part of your life. What he's saying is that when you come to Christ, you're not going to have a lifestyle of sin any longer. It's not something that you keep doing. You won't and you can't. You can't do it. You have a new identity. You are a new creation in him. He's saying that the man who, a woman who abides in God cannot continue to be a deliberate sinner. You will not habitually sin. You can't. There, there is this understanding that as a Christian, we have right head knowledge, but then we have right behavior. And something transformational, regenerative has happened on the inside of us and we are no longer like we were before. Now, the problem is that we find in all sorts of just churches right now is that people will say, pray the magic prayer and you're saved. Pray the sinner's prayer. You're done. Live however you want to live. Go out, commit whatever kinds of sins. Just stay in sin. Keep practicing sin. Keep doing your thing. And what we just read is that's not possible. That is not how this works because now we have a new identity. We are a new creation. God's seed abides in us. And when we have sin in our lives, we're like, uh-uh, I, don't, I don't think so. Not today. We, we have right knowledge, but we also have right behavior. I mean, if we are truly Christians, we are pro-righteousness and we are anti-sin. Yay, righteousness. Boo, sin. Boo, not interested doesn't mean that we won't sin, but when sin comes our way and we sin, then we quickly 
are convicted by the spirit of God who lives on the inside of us, his seed abiding in us, we confess that sin and we repent of that sin and we move towards holiness. What this is saying is we will not, we cannot go on excusing sin. Well, I prayed the prayer. Do you have Christ in you? His seed abiding. Are you a child of God? We're going to be convicted of that sin. Sin will bother us. God's spirit will then convict us. We're not going to excuse it away. We don't find a way of justifying it. And so if you're really following Jesus Christ, sin will bother you. Does it? If it does, then that's a sign that you have the spirit of God inside of you testifying to the fact that you are a child of God. When I have people come to me and and they've got some things on their heart that they want to confess and they say, I feel terrible, I feel miserable, I, I say, good, I am glad. I'm glad you feel the weight of conviction because that's a pretty good sign that you have the spirit of God on the inside of you. And for those of us who are children of God, when sin creeps into our life, when we sin, man, we just feel terrible. We, we, we want to repent, which means repent, we turn to God. And we say, God, I want to I be pure. I want to be purified. Please purify me. Please wash me. Please cleanse me. I've not been walking with you in fellowship. I've been doing my own thing, walking my own direction. And God, I need you to cleanse me wash me. Sin should bother you. It's a sign that you are a child of God. On the other hand, if sin doesn't bother you, if you keep on practicing sin, you're not saved. This is what John said. He said it's evident. It's not hard. He's like, this isn't rocket science. Anyone who does not practice righteousness and they've decided they're just going to go on practicing sin, They're not a child of God. And I I don't know what that does to your heart to hear something like that, whether that then creates this tension and maybe this anger to somebody who's interpreting things this way or reading the truth of God's word or if there is this level of just conviction and weight. I'm hoping that if you have been practicing sin, you just continually move down the direction of sin and you never repent, you never feel the weight of that sin, you have not repented of it, that in this moment you would stop, that you would turn to your heavenly father. Maybe you have never, ever been a child of God. You don't know what it is to have a father in heaven who loves you. Who isn't looking to just smack you down with every kind of sin or to say, well, you've been rebellious. I'm not interested. No, he has these open arms. You have a father in heaven. This is why Jesus Christ came. He came to deal with your sins. Not just your original sin that has separated you from God, but every single sin in your life. All of those habitual sins no longer are holding you down. They don't have the power to hold you down anymore. This ought to be good news for anybody in the room who's addicted to porn. Those who have any kind of addiction or maybe you thought, well, I'm never going to get done lying or stealing or this selfishness and this pride. No, he came to set you free. Not just of one sin, but of all your sins. So that when you move in his direction with repentance, there's this transformation that happens on the inside. You are no longer a slave to that sin. You get to be a slave of his righteousness. His life in you. He came to give you his life. 
Colossians 3, 4, when Jesus Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also shall appear with him in glory. We are saying, Jesus, here, you take my life. I'll take your life. You, you live in me. You take that old, dead, sinful life. And I want you to live your life in me. I, I don't know what this does for you, but in this moment, if you would say, I've never really come to this understanding. I thought I just need to pray a prayer. I've never understood that I need to be a child of God who is walking away from sin. I would encourage you, run, don't walk down that dusty path toward a father who has open arms to you, waiting to embrace you and say, son, daughter, you're mine. Now live that way. I'll set you free. I'll give you life. Come home. Come home. You've been far off long enough. Come home. The Father waits for you. Let's pray. God, I don't know how you do it, but sometimes you grab hold of hearts. Hearts that had been stubborn, ears that had been closed, eyes that had been shut. And in a moment of time, you open them. You've done it for me and so many other children of God in this room. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that our names are written in heaven because we don't deserve them to be. That's a deep grace, a deep love offered to us, and we thank you. And so for any heart that has been wandering and far from home, as they turn to you, not just with a magical prayer or certain words, but with a transformed heart turning to a father who extends love to them, bring that transformation. Plant the seed of life in them and let it grow. Help us to continue to be pure as you are pure, to move in the direction of your righteousness. Help us to walk away from sin. We repent of sin. We don't want sin. We want holiness, your righteousness in us. Thank you for providing that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.